wanted to start this teaching off just with a little bit of history. You, you know, some time back, Rob sort of dropped some hints if I would ever want to teach. And of course, when someone does something like that, you, you know, you think, wow, where am I going to teach from, right? But being who I've been and where I've come, God put in my heart that this is really where I needed to teach. And we're going to be in, chap- in Acts chapter 9 tonight. And uh, basically, two years ago when I came to this church, just coming out of the church where we are, I don't say any names, but it was so much where politics in the church and, and people I met and I shared Christ with, I could never see bringing them there to get them saved. But it was so refreshing coming here and, and so many friends that I knew weren't saved. Some of them said they were Christians, but I mean, obviously they weren't. My heart was, you know, to, man, you got to come here, you know, and, and I didn't go about it the best. And my family can tell you. I am a get her done kind of guy. I mean, my, I just take charge. We're going to do this. It's my job at work. We fix things. And, and it's just a pure disaster when you go around, especially people you know, right? Heck, they know me. That's probably why they didn't want to come. <laughs> so at any rate, I thought it was, as I was just studying on my own through Acts, and I looked at the Apostle Paul, it's like, what an example he was of how to face adversity and, and how we're supposed to be. So let's just start in uh, Acts chapter 9, and we start with, then stop, well, first of all, before we even start, I mean, at this point, Paul was a devout Jew, Right? He had not been saved yet. I mean, most believed he had a part in seeing Stephen getting stoned to death. And and I thought it was really interesting. And 2 Corinthians is one of the places where they say what he looked like. He said he was, his body presence was weak and his speech contemptible. So, you know, you can kind of put that together. I've heard other explanations about the eyebrow and short and so on. It's interesting the people God uses are not many times, or not what you picture, not surely not how they're depicted in the movies. So here's Paul with that vision of what he looks like. Or then Saul, still breathing threats of murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. That, so that if he found any of those who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I thought it was really interesting about, first of all, the letters. letters. And it goes on, it talks about his authority. His authority was from those letters. He was part of a political, religious system. And then, I I absolutely love this, of the way. And when people say they're from a denomination, I say, you know, for the first 300 years, they didn't even have a name. They were people that what? Went the way of the Nazarene. You know, a Jew that went the way of the Nazarite. So, my question is, 
it wasn't a Jew that went the way of St. Peter, right? We know it. Or it wasn't the Jew that went the way of a political system. In the, the, the history of the world, there's so many people who fled from religious political systems. The next thing I really like is, is he bound them. There's no love when you bind somebody, right? The, the difference in his heart after this point is amazing. And then he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, for a while, I didn't know what the goads were. Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting. It, it's what a, they put on behind where an animal's pulling if it doesn't want to go the way it's supposed to go and they back up, they run into these spikes and it hurts. So obviously, Paul knew the scripture. He had obviously taken the Jewish law way too far. But I think the other thing is, it says, why are you persecuting me? And I think it's wonderful, you know, that Jesus said, me, it was the church he was persecuting. That puts us together with Jesus. We are his hands and feet. We're supposed to be the people that's taking the place of Jesus now. You, you know, in the parable of the talents, when he warns us against not using our talents for him, and if you don't have a heart to go out and bring those you know that aren't saved to Jesus, I think you should really question your salvation if you really were saved. Because as you get to know him through his word and everything, our first desire should be for our friends to be saved. You know, people worry about the dead when they're dead. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. We're to be about bringing people to him now. And then the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground and went with his eyes open, and he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was there days without sight neither ate nor drank. He was there three days without sight. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, and behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. To me, it's interesting that I think that when he says, behold, you know, it's, th these are words in red, right? God was impressed that he was praying. That's the heart he wanted. I mean, 
you could only imagine sitting there with no sight. He could have, his heart could have been different. He could have been bitter towards God. But he had a heart to follow God. And, and I think at this point, he realized that he was kicking against the goats. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. You know, Jesus said if we're going to follow him, we need to count up the cost. And I don't think Jesus, well, it just shows that we have free will, right? Before Paul was going to make this commitment in his life, Jesus told him, you know, this is what you're going to go through. Boy, it's interesting when you get up here how quick you lose your notes. <laughs> And Ananias went on his way and entered the house, laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as I, I'm sorry, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. The, this is a beautiful picture of somebody being saved, right? And this is, really points to a mistake I made. We can't bring anybody to Christ. I mean, really, Ananias was the guy, right, who baptized him, who invited, you know, the Holy Spirit was upon him then, but notice, God did the work in him first. And that's something that we really need to keep in mind. When we have loved ones. And then the next part I thought was really interesting too. So when he had received the food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with his disciples in Damascus. I would like to have uh, been there and heard what was said on those days. I mean, how many questions new believers have, right? He knew the scripture of the Old Testament, but he didn't know about Jesus. Wouldn't it have been amazing to be there and listen to these people that knew Jesus firsthand and have an explanation what it was like to be with Jesus. Immediately he preached Christ in the synagogues that he was the son of God. Here's another interesting thing about new believers. Who do they want to tell first? Their family, right? The synagogue, the Jews, they were his family. And I like how there's these little things in Scripture. What's the first thing we got to do if we're going to lead somebody to Christ? What do they have to realize? They're the sinner. There's no mention of a sinner here. Why? They were Jews. They were in the temple. They knew they were sinners. That's what their whole service was about, right? All the sacrificing and everything. 
But, but they, they all realized where they were. And, you know, he, he was well known. So it had to be really interesting when he went to his family. So from here on, I'd like to go to Luke 12. Well, just a little bit of history, but I'm, I'm sure most of you know what a refresher. Basically, Paul went through great suffering. I mean, three times he was, bit, he was given the lashes, 40, I guess, minus one. He, one time he was stoned near death. I mean, he was shipwrecked. What, the suffering he had in his life was tremendous. And you wonder, okay, where did all this come from? Why all this suffering? Well, he was a great man of, of God. He was at a certain time doing a certain work for God. And in Luke twelve fifteen really puts all this into perspective. When it says, Jesus says to them, he said, do you suppose I came to give peace on the earth? Why, I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For now, for, from now on, five in one house will be divided. Three against two, and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That pretty well covers it all, doesn't it? <laughs> so, so many people think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, but they don't realize there's two places, right? He's, when the second coming, he's going to be the priest. Prince of Peace, but it's a spiritual peace that lies within us. There's a war going on in this world, a spiritual battle. And, and I mean, so I don't know how many churches preach that, I mean, or people, I don't know what the churches say, but just friends I talk to, you know, it's like, well, Jesus, it's peace. It's like, not, not so much. Not if you read the same, the same Bible I am. And, you know, I, I thought about a little story that I call uh, Some Assembly Required on Christmas Morning. <laughs> I hope you find this comical. I mean, the Bible is our, sort of our owner's manual. For a person, right? And I think most of us in here have been assembling stuff on Christmas morning, right? And we're all proud. Heck, I know how to put a toy together. You know, most people are really proud. They think they know how to run their life. They don't want a stinking manual to tell them how to assemble their toy or their life. So there you have one spouse with another spouse, right? Either one, it doesn't matter. And they're trying to get this toy together. And the other spouse is reading the manual. <laughs> hey, uh, you might want to read this. Oh, leave me alone. Now they start reading the manual to them. <laughs> How good is that going to go? in front of the kids, grandma and grandpa. 
you know, how do we witness to people? You know, do we confront them in front of their family, in front of friends? And, you know, I'm making light of something, but there really is a spiritual battle. And even this, I, I like what Rob says. He says, God, Satan tries to get a couple together ahead of time. And then, once they're married, he tries and separates them. So we, we've always got to be realized there really is a spiritual battle. You know, the interesting thing is uh, what we want in this world is uh, instant everything. But God, he holds us back until we're really ready. And, and a good example is if you go from chapter 9 onward, and Chuck Smith had a neat thing in here that there was a three-year gap where the Apostle Paul just isn't really heard of. And during that time, he was preparing for his journey. Before we go out and we, we want to bring people to Christ, we need to prepare. We need to know. Why? I mean, the main thing is so we represent our God correctly. Not like I did. <laughs> so at any rate, at this point, just some uh, interesting things from the Bible that I pulled out going through Acts about the amazing change in Paul. And I love in the Bible when it says, they turned the world upside down. Everything about our religion is upside down. Just go through the Beatitudes and read them. They are the exact opposite of what the world expects. And the way Paul acted after receiving Christ, he, you could not even begin to see the man he was before. And instead of seizing and binding people with the authority of a religious political system, these are some of the things I pulled out. I mean, he prayed for them. And this one I really like. And it's, you know, if you read something twice in the Bible, it's there for a reason, right? Well, without even looking hard, I found reasoned four times. Now, he reasoned. He didn't argue. And he reasoned from Scripture. If we don't know the Bible, if we don't know Bible verses, that's what people really need to hear to be changed, not our opinion. And he didn't went, went to them and said, hey, you're wrong. Instead, he told them what Jesus did for them and let their heart be ready to accept him. I mean, it says, at one point, he says, he stayed with them a long time. It's a picture of patience, long-suffering, right? And this is a really biggie for us. Time after time, I don't know how many different times in different ways, they see, in Acts, they seen persecution coming. And they didn't stand and fight. They weren't like the people in the Old Testament, 
Testament where my king, my God, I got my sword up, right? This is under the new covenant. I mean, at one time, he was humbled to the point they put him in a basket, lowered him down the wall. You know, so it's hard. we shouldn't put God to the test. You know, I, I like this, the, the story. I think it's really funny. I probably told Moshe this, but it, 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 it's good to repeat. There was a guy that lived in a flood valley, and there was a big rain coming, you know, and, and he on the news, you know, it said, hey, evacuate low-lying areas. He said, ah, God will God'll look after me. And pretty soon it's raining, you know, and his neighbor comes over and says, hey, the water's up to my ankles. I'll be good. Pretty soon the water's up. They come by in a boat. He's up on the second floor. He said, get in the boat. He said, no, God will provide. He ends up on the roof. Here comes the helicopter. Get rid of the rope. Nope, God will provide. And pretty soon the house washes away, and he goes to meet his maker. He ends up in heaven. He goes, what happened? He said, I sent you a newscast, a neighbor, a truck, a helicopter. We, we don't want to put God to the test. When we feel that we're being rejected, when we're, we need to just back off. We don't want to draw negative attention to ourselves. Because, again, it's a love thing. It always comes down to love. You can't see a bit of love in the way the Apostle Paul started out. I mean, another time says immediately, they sent Paul away by night. A lot, and he did it with other believers a lot of times. I mean, he wasn't prideful. He wasn't out on his own. <clears throat> they don't, he doesn't give anybody else credit when he was dragging them in with the religious system and law. Another point it was obvious he was trying to fight City Hall. I mean, I could, but instead he just shook the dust off his feet. When he seen he was up against a political system, it's just time to leave. And the, the biggie is he, he didn't go up against the mob. You know, Satan, he is the author of disorder. God is order. It was the mob who one day worshipped Jesus and the next day said throw him on a cross. And I thought it was really interesting. One time he did approach the mob, it was actually to defuse a riot that broke out over his teaching. He, I mean, blessed are the peacemakers. Another thing I was reading through when he was witnessing to a group and he gave the Jews the history from Moses throughout the Bible. And, of course, he ended it with Jesus Christ. But in this day and age, how many of us know the history of Christianity in the United States? How many people realize that most of the founding fathers either were or their, their forefathers were fleeing from a religious political system where they were getting murdered in Europe? How many people bring out the point that our whole system of law is based on Mosaic law? I mean, 
People like to use the eye for an eye and the tooth for a tooth to point out how terrible the Bible is. But you explain to them, no, it was for judging people who had wronged somebody and for restoration. We have it today. If somebody rear-ends your car and totals it, you get a new car. You should get a replacement car from them <clears throat> anymore. It's hard to say. <laughs> but the deal is, it, it's not a, a leg for a finger, you know. <laughs> it's an eye for an eye. And it, and it was a lesson for the, how the Jews were to judge. How many people know that George Washington had days of fasting and prayer before he went into battle? How many people know of all the miracles that were in the Bible that have been, or in the Bible, in the school system that have now been taken out of the textbooks? I mean, there's some tremendous, and they were routinely taught. And there's people that will go out and tell you you don't know what you're doing. You're saying, you're, you're crazy when you say, do you realize that the Webster Dictionary was written so our nation could understand the Bible? That all the, almost every major college, Yale, Princeton, Harvard, were all started as Christian colleges. And the real interesting thing is a lot of them were started 10 years or five years or 15 years after the other because of the colleges had turned away from the word of God and a group of believers from that college said, this is enough, we're gonna go start our Christian college. You guys are not teaching the word of God. So, I mean, it's real important when, when we're engaging people with love, not arguing that we have our facts, we know our history, we know our Bible. And then, I mean, this is just amazing. When he, through being in a synagogue and preaching, or I might have a little bit out, it might have been when he uh, brought a girl out of uh, what she was doing, that, <clears throat> at any rate, and he uh, hurt her finances, he found himself in chains, he found himself scourged first, he found himself shackled with the believers, with his fellow disciples, in prison. And what did they do? Now, you really got to put this into context. His whole back was cut open. You, you know, he had been abused. They were singing and praising God in the prison. And then we know the story that God reached in and he opened the doors, right? Now, in Rome, the Romans were brutal. If you don't do your duty, especially something like that, you know, it's a bad thing. And also, the other rule they had is you couldn't just beat, scourge a Roman citizen. They had to have a Roman trial. Well, when they had realized what they had done, they just wanted him to go away. And he pointed out what they had did, but he did not go to Rome and have them killed had them persecuted. How many of us, I know myself, you know, when we're wronged over the littlest things, you know, we're ready to be like, well, but to be half beat to death and imprisoned. And, and how did that wit witness to those around him? 
When we are wronged and other people see it, how we act will speak more to the people around us to bring them to Christ than anything. When they wanted to worship him because of his healings, they wanted to make him a God. He was appalled by it. He said, no, surely not. So he wanted to give God all the credit for everything he did. But you know, this is, when I, when I started listening to J. Vernon McGee going through the Bible, he said something that really struck me, and I thought of this. Almost all the problems you see, all the confrontation that Paul had in here was within religious groups. And J. Vernon McGee pointed something out that was shocking to me. He said, with these teachings I have, you'd think the ACLU would be after me, or this group, or that group, right? He said, I've been in several lawsuits, and it was all because he was attacked by religious groups. And you think, well, what hope do we have? But here's the deal. Those religious groups had turned political. When you teach from this book, especially like you know Rob does up here all the time, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, all in context, you don't see the politics in here. We have to ask, where does our authority come from? It comes from Jesus. It doesn't come from any institution, from any political group. And the, the last point is, I, I just think this is amazing. It was never Jesus plus with Paul. It was always Jesus in his word. And in different ways all the time, he brought in Jesus' salvation. You know, it was was always worked into his teaching in clever ways. I I think that just shows someone who's being led by the Spirit. That there's no exact way to do it. But we need to just calm down when, when there's family members, when somebody says something, and just think about how we're going to engage them. You, you know, a, a couple months back, I was at work, and one of the guys who's pretty much agnostic, I'll say he's agnostic, give him that much. We, we were at lunchtime, you know, talking about things of the world. I don't know what. And I gave him the biblical view. And uh, I didn't get up and start preaching. I said, you know, but it all makes sense if you look at from what's going on and you look at the Bible. And he went and threw a box down in front of me. I said, I won't say his name. I'll I'll call him John. I said, what's that for, John? He said, well, well, there's your uh, pedestal. He didn't call it something. He said, get up on it and preach, right? I thought for a minute. I said, John, I said, tell me something. Why can you give me the opinion of an actor, the opinion of a rock and roll star, and I can sit there and listen to this person who's supposedly wise because they can act or sing or something, but I give you God's word and you find it offensive. It was, I mean, he had nothing to say. And I looked at a few of my friends. One of them's a pastor, by the way, and, and they had a, an ear-to-ear grin. So it was, it was one of the moments. But I didn't rub it in. You know what I mean? I just gave him something to think about. You know, someone plants, someone waters, someone harvests. 
We don't have to bring somebody all at once. But there's another thing that struck me, and that's when doing the work on the cross out front, I don't know how many kids in the youth group said, what are you going to do if somebody defaces us? And I can't tell you how many adults asked me the same thing once more than, more than once. And I thought, wow, if this would be a nightclub and we'd be putting something out there, would anybody be worried about somebody defacing it? This would be a dance studio, and there's two dancers. No, but the cross points something out to somebody. They're a sinner, or they're going to accept God. And people don't like being, especially when Satan's behind them. And that's why it's very, very important how we witness, because more than that cross, that's just a thing. You know, I would be upset if somebody defaced it, but, you know, God, you're on the throne. But we got to be very, very aware of how quick the radio station can be damaged by something we say. We never want to go up to somebody and say, hey, Rob's teaching, you know, he said that this is wrong, and offend somebody. You know, when I hear people say to me about same-sex couples and everything, and, and how, we, how Christians are bigoted, I say, you don't know anything about Christians. And, and one thing that, uh, actually Donnie Michaels, guy at work, gave me this thought. And the, the next day, I had witnessed a Muslim guy up in the house and used this. It was, God's just in time. He gives us things when we need it. Don't blame the king for the failure of his subjects. What they do. But the other thing I'll always tell people is this. There is no better place that's a couple living in sin. Well, first thing I explain, that God views all the sin the same. He viewed me, the way I read the Bible, where I put all my adrenaline hobbies in front of him as a much worse sin than than a sexual sin. I mean, it's the first commandment, right? He doesn't want any gods in front of him. But also that a true Christian family, if a same-sex couple moves in next to them, what are they going to do? They are going to bring them people to Christ by their example, how they treat them, how they help them, who they are. You never accept the sin, and that's where we draw the line, right? But you explain to them in a loving way that our religion says we're all sinners. And God's way is best for all of us. And if they, but you don't get in their face and do it. Only if they see something in you that makes them ask the questions. You know, us being faithful as Christians... I mean, there's this matter of election we talk about. You know, it'll make you lose your mind if you think about it enough. You know, God knows who's going to come, right? And at the end, someone's going to be saved is going to be saved. And, and this is just my opinion. It's not really in the Bible, but, I mean, example I'll give you is Pastor Rob. Him and Rebecca being faithful to move here to Cumberland in God's calling, 
I know I was saved. I know I was saved in the Catholic Church. I mean, I know what I was doing in the Catholic Church, and, and I know I was teaching in the Catholic Church, and I was teaching from the Bible. But their faithfulness, and through my faithfulness to read the Bible and study the Bible, led us here. And the blessings to our family have been tremendous. We still would have been saved. But when we do what our king calls us to do, it blesses all those around us. So uh, with that, I'd just like to pray with everybody here that God, as we go out with a heart to be your hands and be your feet, just guide us in how we approach others and just let us always stop and think. Are are we loving on this person? And are we pointing them to you, not to our wisdom? God, I thank you for this, this church and these believers. I just ask you to protect us, look after us. Rob, Rebecca, his family, the, the building, the radio station, all of it, God. But we know no matter whatever happens that you are in charge. We thank you for the peace that comes from knowing you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.